Welcome to Christian Natural Health with naturopathic Dr. Lauren DeVille. Christian Natural Health is the podcast on how to get and stay healthy God's way. You'll hear topics on nutrition, exercise, sleep, avoiding toxicity, meditating on scripture, what supplements to take, stress management, defeating anxiety and worry, how to reconcile Eastern medicine approaches with Christianity, and a whole lot more. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lauren. Welcome back to another episode of Christian Natural Health. Today, I am excited to have Michael Rubino joining us. Michael is an innovative expert in mold contamination and remediation. He and his company, All American Restoration, have been featured in USA Today, NJ Biz, not sure how to pronounce that, uh, Reader's Digest, New Jersey, Monthly, and Digital Trends. He was also selected as a speaker for the Spring 2020 Indoor Air Quality Association Meeting and Expo. He has received his Bachelor of Science degree in 2008 and is a council-certified microbial remediator from the American Council for Accredited Certification and a New York State Department of Labor Remediation contractor. He spent the past seven years involved in construction and remediating mold contamination. His focus is not just on removing cosmetic damage resulting from mold. It's on removing all traces of mold, the spores they leave behind and the toxins produced by the mold. He's discovered that a person suffering from hypersensitivity to mold needs all three types of decontamination to regain their health. To educate those who are suffering, he wrote the book Mold Medic. And in detail, he advises readers how to choose a mold remediation company and the exact processes that that company should be using. I'm really excited for this interview. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell us, first of all, what are some signs people might look for to indicate that a building is moldy? It's a great question. I think, you know, the first main indicator that people usually look for is, is that musty odor. Right. You get a sense of smell. You're smelling things that just, just don't really feel dry. Um, you'll have this unusual musty odor that's actually produced by the MVOCs. Hmm. So the, 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 MV, the, the VOC is produced by mold. Right. And um, that's what gives you that, that very distinct musty smell. We've all, I think we've all, uh, unfortunately, been around something like that and had that experience. That's probably the first really clear sign because, you know, sometimes from a visual perspective, you may not see certain things. Um, there's been plenty of cases where I've opened up walls and from the outside looking in, you're like, why would I need to open this wall up? You open the wall up and you see all the structural damage you see all this wet building material and, and tons of mold. So I think, um, you know, a sense of smell is, is a good indicator. And then, of course, you know, visually, you want to look for signs of water damage. If you see brown, black, or white stains on your drywall, um, wood substrates in, in an area that's unfinished, it's probably a good idea at that point to get a mold inspection done so that you can determine if there's any mold present. Gotcha. Okay. And are there any, like you kind of mentioned a couple of the visual or scent ways, is there a way to distinguish between allergenic and toxic mold from that? Or are you basically like, as soon as you smell that it's musty, you have to test? You know, if you're a microbiologist, you, you may have a keen eye to distinguish different types of molds, but for the average person, you're probably going to want to test for mold to understand what's present. You know, some of the things I can tell you, like molds like Aspergillus, which are an allergenic species, they're typically white. Okay. Which, which can make it hard to find. You know, if you're looking at a piece of wood and you see kind of some white crystallization um, and then, you know, some white fungus growing, you, you may just think it's, uh, oh, it was drywall dust from when they built the place and things like that, but it could actually be mold. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if you see brown, black stains, those are usually uh, toxigenic molds like Atomium or Stachybotrys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, you know, if you see anything out of the ordinary and you're not sure if it's dust or dirt, 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good, good thing to sample it just to be sure because you know, nine times out of ten, that dust or dirt usually is some sort of growth. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and what kind of buildings would you say are at the most risk for mold? I mean, that we all kind of know if it's an old building, it's more likely, or obviously if there's a history of known water damage. But is there any particular, like maybe say type of building materials that might encourage it or things like that? Yeah, uh, this is a this is a very interesting question. Um, and j- just to give you some feedback and a story, um, we did a a fairly large remediation project in Connecticut recently um, on a new construction home. And um, so it it just goes to show you that there's, unfortunately, the way we build homes um, in America, whether it was uh, built 20 years ago or right now, um, odds are there's going to be some sort of design flaw that could be a potential for mold growth. So um, some of the things that that I think are are problematic are going to be your crawl spaces, your basements, your attics. Those are typically the the big issues that that can involve a, a big mold remediation project. And from there, when you have these sources that cross convect throughout the house, it can start to impact your HVAC system. Mm-hmm. If you have an, an HVAC system that has typically, if you have a central air system, it's going to have a coil. That coil is constantly condensating. Mm-hmm. So that constant production of moisture really creates a perfect environment for mold to grow. And most of our HVAC systems are just, just not built with mold in mind. You know, they have the, the MERV filters that, that come standard with a unit are not trapping particles as small as, as something like a mold spore. Right. Um, certainly not 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 uh, protecting you from mycotoxins mm-hmm. or endotoxins getting to the system. So, you know, there's there's a lot of flawed uh, building science that that's unfortunate in our construction industry. Um, some of the some of the things we do now is we build buildings so tight we use spray foam insulation, you know, on the exterior walls, all throughout the attic. Um, and we really like just smother our, our building and envelope and then that building envelope needs to breathe. So what, what I'm finding that's happening, a lot of these newer homes that are going with that strategy is you get any sort of leak or any sort of moisture intrusion at all, it'll get trapped in between the sheathing and the spray foam and it'll actually allow mold to start growing behind the spray foam right on the wood substrates. So, you know, if you're going to go the spray foam route, the trade-off is, obviously, it's great for energy efficiency, but the trade-off is is it really doesn't give you any visibility at all when there is a water intrusion event, and it, it allows mold to grow kind of unknown, you know? Gotcha. Okay, so it's really more about the spray foam than it is about the actual materials that are being used in the construction of the house, like the, the, the actual guts of it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, drywall, I mean, they have, they have different uh, options for drywall, like magnesium oxide board, and I know... People who are really sensitive to mold, they, they want to stay away from drywall. Drywall is not the problem. Mm. The problem is is the, the, the flawed building designs that we have that allow water and moisture to penetrate into the space and then impact the drywall because the drywall is such a, a porous product. You know, so it's it's really about setting up the right countermeasures. You know, something that we do as a company when we do remediation, we don't just remediate the mold in that snapshot of time. We figure out what caused it. And we improve the conditions of the space so that there's no more opportunity for mold to grow in that space. So that may include things like putting in dehumidification systems, um, you know, especially if you're in like a humid climate such as Florida. You want to really just eliminate that opportunity for mold to grow. 
So I think that's the big thing. If you're looking at building a new home, you want to work with an architect or work with a, a, a building biologist who really is in touch with mold and can make sure that the envelope's done properly, that there's you know moisture countermeasures in place, and uh, the HVAC system set up properly. A very ineffective, a very inexpensive and effective uh, solution for an HVAC system is to put an air purification system that ties into the return duct of the HVAC that can filter out particles as small as mold. Um, there's a good one by Intellipure that, that I recommend to people that's, uh, it filters actually up to seven nanometers in particle size, which is, you know, roughly a hundred times smaller than a mold spore. Uh-huh. Now, when, when you filter it out, any part of particles that tiny from getting to the coil, now you, you just, you won't have mold growing on the coil because mold can't get to it in the first place. Awesome. So, you know, there's a lot of tips and tricks you can do when building a home, when working with a contractor. Um, I'm actually building a home myself right now um, in Florida where we just expanded our southeast region. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm finding major, major building flaws with this builder wow. who happens to be a production builder right. that, uh, you know, I, I, I already i am documenting everything. Um, I'm sure there'll be some sort of battle with them in the end. But right. um, it just kind of goes to show you that people just don't do things properly when it comes to environmental impacts. Sure. So kind of along those lines with the air filter. So you mentioned IntelliPure, that's something that would be part of the central system. What about like individual, like if somebody wanted a air filter for a particular room or a space or like, let's say their office maybe has, is questionable or something. Is there some kind of thing that you'd say that we should look for, for an air purifier that's like movable? Yeah, yeah actually IntelliPure does make, you know, standalone units that can go into your room as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you, you want something again, that's going to trap very fine particulate. Gotcha. Now, there's all, there's all sorts of technology out there. Ionization, ozone, you know, I, I tend to stay away from ozone particularly because most of my clients are, are sensitive individuals and even just a trace amount of ozone could impact them. But, you know, there's, there's all sorts of technology. I think the, the most important technology you want, though, is something that can really trap tiny particles. I think that's the key. And what's your cutoff for what you consider a tiny particle? Well, so here's here's the tough part. You know, mold spores are typically 0.02 microns in size, but the issue is that mold actually can also have what's called hypo fragments. So as as mold does dry up in certain areas and becomes brittle, it actually breaks up into even smaller particles. Ah. So while we don't know the exact size of those particles because they range, you know, having something that can filter out, you know, uh, something to, to the degree of seven nanometers, which is roughly the size of a virus, uh-huh. that's going to be definitely more efficient than uh, anything that you would need to get rid of mold. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So if somebody, let's say, is looking to have their place of residence or their workplace or whatever tested for mold, can you explain the pros and the cons of the various types of mold testings? There's, you know, Petri dish, yeah. all it hurts me, all that. Yeah, so I think that the biggest concern that I have is um, with air testing. Because if if air testing isn't done properly, it can kind of give you this false sense of security that there's nothing going on in the home. Um, There's a case I'm working on in Florida right now where the air test was actually lower inside than it was outside. But then when you did the early test, you found that there was a million spores of catomium in the environment. So that, that right there goes to show you that, you know, the air test, Maybe there wasn't catonium in the air at the exact moment that, that it was taken. 
Um, oh, plutonium okay. tends to be a heavier mold. Okay, so um, it depends on like where you get the sample from, basically from the air. Right. So it, you know, so so exactly. I mean, if you could take a sample, if you take a sample closer to where the actual issue is, most likely you're going to find a, a bigger issue than if you took it further back, more maybe more in the center of the room. I so I think air testing, you really have to know what you're doing to do proper air testing to really identify problem areas. Okay. Um, you know, the, the, the best thing to do, in my opinion, would be to do a visual inspection first, look for signs of water damage. Uh -huh. And then once you have, uh, you know, maybe 10 or 15 locations, hopefully not that many, but, you know, you, you then kind of mark out your plan of how, what's the best effective way to test those locations. Gotcha. So for some, it may be actually poking a hole through the wall to do like a wall cavity sample. And what, what you would do is basically there's a tube that kind of goes into the wall cavity and actually draws the air from inside that wall cavity. Mm, Obviously, okay. it's going to be concentrated, but what that's going to tell you is if there's a problem in that area. Right. So for me, to do a successful remediation, there's three pillars to this. You have one, fixing the actual water, moisture, intrusion, et cetera, that, that caused mold in the first place. Two is removing the sources. So if you have a window leak and mold starts to grow inside that wall cavity, that becomes a colonization, right. which we call a source. And that source is actively producing contamination. Certain species can produce what's called mycotoxins or fungal toxins. Mm -hmm. and, and any species is going to produce mold spores. That's how it reproduces. Right. So after you remove the source, you're going to have this contamination that's naturally in the environment. That's where the ERMI and Hertzme test comes into play. Okay. What the ERMI does is it tests the dust and tells you how much contamination is present in the dust. Mm -hmm. So if you've had mold problems for seven years and you didn't know about it, you test it, you do an ERMI test, odds are the ERMI is going to be off the charts. Right. Now, there's a, there's a lot of misconceptions about ERMI I think is probably valuable to touch on. When you, when you speak to a lot of people across the country, a, a lot of people have this idea of wanting like a the score below a two, right. which, which I'm fully on board with, by the way. Mm -hmm. But I want to explain that when you, when you use, when you first do remediation, you're going to be removing molds from both categories, your indoor molds, your, your common outdoor molds. Okay. As you're doing it at the same time, because the ERMI score is a sliding scale of group one minus group two, mm -hmm. you, you may not get it to be below a two, you know, two days after you finish remediation. But if all the sources are removed and, and the, the actual ERMI shows promising, maybe it's a three or a four. Mm -hmm. Odds are that once you have that normal habitat in the environment, more of the outdoor molds come back into the space, that score should start to go into the negative. Uh, when there's not more sources creating contamination, you have more of that natural environment. Gotcha. So uh, what, what we want to do when, it, when you're looking at remediation, you want to say, hey, is this remediation successful? And you're looking at that ERMI score. I say... Get, get your mind off the score for a minute. Start looking at the columns. Mm -hmm. You know, if you still have plutonium in the environment, I'd say more cleaning is needed. Same thing with stachybotrys, aspergillus, penicillioids, ocreus, really all, yeah. all these tenfold toxigenic and, and, and allergenic molds or mycotoxin-producing molds. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of what you want to use as your metrics for, for success. I mean, you're not going to get it to zero because it's just, it's just virtually impossible to get Every single mold column is non-detected, right. but you should have all those toxigenic, allergenic, mycotoxin-producing molds. You know, typically, they're called the tenfold molds. Um, you, you want those pretty much as, as low as humanly possible. For me, when I'm, on, I'm, I'm doing remediation, 
Uh, and this is probably bad for business, but great because all I care about is helping people. If I see one spore of ketomium or one spore of stachybacchus, because they're toxigenic, I make my team re-clean. So, you know, that's kind of the metrics that I use for success. And then I want to see all the other levels just, just very, very low. Mm -hmm. Um, and the other thing that's worth mentioning is if you're, if you have a company out there cleaning two or three times and it's still just not getting there, that's usually indicative of, of another source being present. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you're going to want to spend the time to find it, maybe yeah. bringing a hygienist back in to do some more testing to find it. Sure. Um, once you eradicate it um, and you re-clean, if you see those markers drop exponentially again, then you know you've got it all. So gotcha. it, it can be a bit of a road. Um, it's, it's not a perfect science, but at the end of the day, you know, we've, we've been through a lot of this. We've helped over... 500 people to date specifically who are sensitive to mold. So we've got a lot of data to work off and make sure that when we're on a project, we're getting the end result at the end of the day. Gotcha. Okay. And could you tell a little bit about the difference between Ermi and Hurts Me? What's, how does yes. Yeah. So basically the, the, the main difference is, is Hurts Me is really looking at four, four particular molds. Um, and when you look at these four particular molds, it's, it's got an algorithm to calculate a score. So, Usually a score of 10 or below, what they'll say is in only 1.7% of cases, someone who's sensitive and has sears would not be able to reoccupy. So it's a great, it's a great statistic and measurement to use. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, we want to get it usually better, much better than a 10. I mean, typically I'm looking at four or better um, in that regard. But the ERMI is going to give you a lot more data. It's going to give you a lot more species to look at, mm-hmm. um, which which is good because you, you want to really have a better picture mm-hmm. of what's there, what needs to be removed. Um, I think the ERMI just gives you a lot more data, but but I actually like the Hertzie scoring methodology better than the ERMI scoring methodology, gotcha. if that makes sense. Because it'll give you more data in terms of how likely is this person to be sensitive kind of a thing? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. I think I think it's, it's just because... If you don't understand Ernie score, how the Ernie score works, mm-hmm. you know, you may see a three, right? And a three, in my opinion, depending on what, what the actual data shows, right. can, be, can be fairly good, especially right after remediation. Right. So if you, if you look at that three, it's going to say quadrant four. You look at quadrant four, it's going to tell you, you know, hey, look, you need more remediation here. This is a problem. And that can kind of scare you and put you into this hopeless mindset that, you can't solve the problem. So, you know, I think that the ERMI can be a little problematic with the scoring methodology, um, whereas I think the Hertz me is really more, it just has a better scoring methodology. When you look at the score, you may say a three ERMI and a, and a four Hertz me and look at that and say, oh, well, only, you know, I have a 99.98.3% chance of moving back in. I think you're going to be feeling better going into that than the way the ERMI presents its score. But I think... There, when you do an ERMI, it actually typically, depending on the lab, you'll get a, a Hertz me with it. Mm. So usually that that's 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 a great way to do it because you get both best of both worlds. Gotcha. You get to see all the data that the ERMI shows and look at just just focus on the data. You know, mm. you have a, you have a million spores of, of ketonium in the environment. That's bad. You know, we want to we want to do a lot of a lot of remediation, a lot of cleaning to get that get that lower. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. And then the hurts me score, that, that gives you that peace of mind of, okay, I can, I can move back into this house after. And so what would you say, like, if somebody has a fairly low index of suspicion for mold, but they just want to rule it out for whatever reason, is are Petri dishes useful at all? Is that an option? You know, I mean, it's, it's really hard to tell because you could be in an environment where there's a lot of mold outside. So naturally, you're going to have a lot of you're going to have a lot of mold in the air inside. And so when you do these Petri dishes, odds are they're, they're going to grow some mold. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're basically allowing moisture to collect in this dish. And, you know, when you have, wherever you have moisture, mold will grow if it's in the environment. Yeah. So, you know, is it useful? I, you know, I, it could be. Um, I don't think it really does a lot to tell you what the problem is and how to solve it. Well, sure. So, it, you know, if you're just looking at looking to get a gauge of you know how much mold is really growing on this petri dish, right? I, I think it could be a, a good visual indicator. To say, but I would say further, yeah. Yeah, I would say like most people, like if you're if you're looking to rent a new place or buy a new home, I, I would say sure. do an ERMI first. Oh yeah. To, to really get a picture of what it looks like, mm-hmm. and then the ERMI is not going to give you a remediation plan. It'll just tell you how much contamination is there, but right. that should be a good indicator. If you have a, you know, if you have a lot of molds present, when you look at the data that the ERMI suggests, you're going to really have a good indication of how much remediation is going to be needed to, to remove all the sources and then get the place cleaned up properly. Makes sense. So kind of along those lines, what are some questions that people who are looking to hire a company to test might ask to make sure that they do it right? You know, one of the, the biggest, I think the first question is to rule somebody out is, hey, do you test for, you know, can you do an early test? Do you test for mycotoxins? Right. I, I think those two questions alone kind of rules people out because, unfortunately, this industry is is pretty bad, just, just to be blunt. Right. Um, you, you got mold inspectors out there that do air tests in the middle of rooms and, and uh, you know, again, get these give people a false sense of security. Um, you got mold remediation companies that are just like, oh, I'll just fog it, you know, and there's there's all these different means and methods that unfortunately just aren't thorough enough and don't do what is expected. So I think when you ask a mold inspection company, do you do ERMI, do you do mycotoxins, and they start to hem and haw and tell you things like, oh, that's not necessary, why do you need to do something like that? I think that's going to be a really good indicator that they may not be the person for you. Yeah. Especially if you're sensitive to mold, you really want it done right. You really want a very comprehensive inspection. You want to make sure that they're finding everything so that you can put mold into the past and not have to worry about it any further. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the other thing is, uh, you know, just get a, get a sense for, ask them how long do they, do they expect the inspection to take. Okay. You know, really good mold inspectors will be in your house four to eight hours. I mean, sometimes even more than that. Mm-hmm. So if, if they're going to say, oh, it'll take about 20 minutes, then obviously you can already kind of gauge that they plan to come in, probably take an air sample outside, an air sample inside, maybe even two and, and call it a day. Right. And again, I, I think that if you're concerned that you have mold, you really want to make sure that you have someone to find it all. Because imagine you think that there's a one problem in one area and you want to do this comprehensive remediation strategy and you do that, and you wait three months, you're not feeling 100% still, so you, you re- do another ERMI, and you find out that, uh, you know, the is even worse than it was three months ago. Mm-hmm. You know, that can happen. It often does, and it's very unfortunate. 
it, that that really stems from not finding the problem in the first place. You really, if you have to deal with mold, you want to deal with it once and never again. Yeah. And so finding a good company to, to really find the problems, um, I think, is, is the most important step. It's, it's, it's like you wouldn't build a house without an architect because you need plans to build a house. Mm-hmm. It's similar with, with mold. You wouldn't just... Uh, get a company in here to start cutting open walls without really identifying where the mold is, how far, how far spread out it is and, and what you actually need to do as a roadmap to make sure that it's, it's going to be eradicated. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So same question for remediation. Are there some questions that you should ask a company to make sure they know what they're doing and they're not just re aerosolizing all the mold spores to the rest of the house? Yes. So, you know, one of the, the biggest things you want to ask is, you know, what sort of engineering controls do you put in place? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do they use air scrubbers, negative air machines to make sure that when they're remediating an area, it's contained inside that space and it's not being spread further out into other parts of the home? Right. Uh, you you want to ask what products they're using. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of products out there. For me personally, I use only botanical and non-toxic products because, I believe that you know chemicals can uh, off gas for long periods of time, causing more harm than good yeah. in, in the scope of the remediation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's an important thing, like getting the safety data sheets uh, from the from the person and what they plan to use, and making sure you know you'd be surprised. You start looking at some of those data sheets, and you're like, wait, this causes cancer. Why would I want this in my house? Yeah, exactly. So uh, you know, I, I think that's that's really important. Um, other aspects are, would be like, hey, how do you, what do you plan to do to lower the ERMI score? You know, if they say, what's an ERMI? You know, you, you kind of know <laughs> right. they're probably not, not the right contractor for you. Same thing with mycotoxins. You know, if you, if you end up testing for mycotoxins and they're present and you, you know, obviously you want to deal with that, you're going to ask them, how do you plan to remove the mycotoxins? And, and if, again, if they say, what, what's a mycotoxin? Um, you know, you know that they're probably not the right company for you, but you know, I think the obvious basics, making sure they're insured, um, certified to do remediation. You you don't want your contractor messing with mold remediation. They they really don't know what they're doing. Um, you really want to make sure you hire a professional Mm -hmm. and that can be tricky because professionals themselves, even people who are licensed, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a standard practice where everybody does the exact same job. It's kind of like a wild, wild west. So (laughs) one of the things that I, that I, I I give, uh, if you go on my website, allamericanrestoration.com, I actually outline, I think 12 or 13 different questions that you would want to ask um, your contractor to make sure that they're a good fit. And then I kind of give you a cheat sheet of what the answer should be. But, you know, if they're, if they're trying to push this demolition free mold remediation, it sounds really good, but it's, it's one of those things where if it sounds too good to be true, it, it probably is. You know, if you're not correcting the water intrusion, if you're not removing the sources, you're just fogging and wiping the place down. Well, that would be a great last step of the process. You're just going to have the mold coming back. So, if those options always seem financially attractive because maybe correcting the problem is $20,000 and this guy's like, well, for $3,500, I'll fog it. Right. You know, you're financially, you're going to be like, I'd rather spend $3,500 than $20,000. But you have to realize they're not correcting the issue. It's just going to come back. So that $3,500 that seems like the best deal actually ends up being a waste of money. So yeah. you got to really be careful and do your due diligence and, and make sure that that person really understands your needs. Yeah. 
and is looking to accomplish things for you. If you if you're sensitive, you gotta let the company know. Hey, I'm sensitive. I need this done right. And you know, hopefully, if they have integrity and they don't think they can help you, they will say, you know what, maybe I'm not the best person for you. Right, right. So you kind of touched on this before um, when you were mentioning the chemicals that are being used. But like, let's say somebody's issue isn't, or at least they don't think it's mold; that they think it's more like solvents, formaldehyde, things like that. What are the best ways, if you know of them, to test for those? So usually, usually your mold consultant, actually the, the hygienist, will be able to test for formaldehyde. Um, I. I I don't recall exactly what test it is, whether it's uh, an air test or, or kind of like a swab test. Okay. But um, I've seen that very often where a lot of times there's there's other issues. There's VOCs, right. there's formaldehyde, uh-huh. these other solvents that are causing an issue. We even had one client that had almost all three, had mold, uh, formaldehyde, because they, they imported all these uh, these these wood panels that went all over the house and it looked very nice but unfortunately it was just the formaldehyde was off the charts and then we talked about this earlier but they had spray foam everywhere so there was absolutely no exchange of air from outside to inside yeah so basically the house filled up like a balloon full of formaldehyde full of vocs brand new construction house and uh it they were so sick they couldn't even live there after they uh just hired a moving company to move in um the first night there they had to revacate and we had to do some some serious engineering install drvs you know constantly change that air so that while these things were off gassing mm-hmm. you know they had somewhere to go um and, and you know obviously we recommended hey we should probably take the wood paneling off and i was like ah, i'm not doing that but yeah. You know, that's, you know, unfortunately, when you have levels of formaldehyde like that in those types of products with all these adhesives, sure. you know, it's, it could take a long time to have off gas. So yeah, uh, luckily with all the, the engineering we did, after retesting for formaldehyde later, uh-huh. um, the levels were, were in the normal range um, where it wasn't impacting them. After they, they did everything, they did feel much, much better moving back in. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of things, a lot of environmental contaminants other than mold that can impact you, such as formaldehyde, VOCs, yeah. uh, bacteria, mm-hmm. bacterial toxins, etc. So yeah. it's important if you're experiencing some health symptoms and you, you've pretty much nailed down that your home is the cause, just to do a full spectrum to rule anything and everything out so you're not, you have one project client and that's it. Yeah, and sorry, you, you mentioned ERVs. What does that stand for? So ERVs is a, like, it's, it's basically a, what's the acronym called again? I always forget this. You can just tell me what it means. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's called, it stands for an energy recovery ventilator. Oh, there we go. Really what it does. It almost looks like a dehumidifier. Um, what it does, it actually has an intake and an exhaust. So it pulls fresh air in, filters it, and then supplies it back out into the environment. Gotcha. And, you know, what, what you're doing really is if you have this enclosed house and there's no way for air to exhaust out and, you know, all these contaminants just get stuffed into the house and stuck there, you want to have some sort of capability of bringing fresh air out there's many ways to do it you can actually bring fresh air in through the hvac and 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 exhaust out you can they could have um they could have come up with other measures of exhausting the air up in the attic in this particular project the erv seemed to be the best solution um for what they were going through what they were looking for 
um, you know, from all aspects. But basically, the, the whole idea was to get fresh air in and exhaust the stale air that was stuck inside the house out. Gotcha. So it basically exchanges that air. Great. Okay, cool. So is there anything I have not asked you that you want to make sure you leave with our audience? Um, yes, probably, I'm sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, um, I, I want to say if you are experiencing a mold issue, um, if you are looking for help with that, um, I am always open and available to communicate with. Uh, there's there's clients out that I can't service. Um, we had a client in California recently reached out and needed some help. Yeah, I don't charge for consultations. I don't charge for estimates or anything like that. So if you need, you know, just if you have some questions on on a particular situation, mm -hmm. um, feel free to email me, and I'd be more than happy to give any free advice, free resources I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, our company does travel around the United States, just depending on availability. Right. But um, you know, if, if we can't physically be there to help you, we certainly can be there to support you on a consulting basis free of charge. So I, I do want everyone to know that our website, allamericanrestoration.com. Um, it has a, a lot of good free resources on there, legal resources. If you're in a situation where you're a tenant and your landlord's not maintaining the property and it's causing mold and it's really affecting you, um, there's legal resources for that. Or, or maybe you're, you own a condo and a building and, um, you know, you're having issues with the building and the management company not maintaining the building. Um, you know, likewise, um, free resources on how to find a good mold inspector, how to find a good remediator, um, and, and kind of, you know, just what do you do if you have mold? Because it can be very overwhelming. Right. You know, from what do I do with my stuff to how do I fix it and how do I make sure it never comes back. Th those are all things that are really integral to doing any sort of construction-like project like this. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure you're improving the space and things can't grow back. So right. yeah. um, I'd say check that out. And, and of course, The Mold Medic, um, it's available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And that book is written if you are sensitive and you're dealing with mold and you, you just you just realize that, hey, I have mold in my body. Um, I'm 99% sure I have mold in my house. How do I find out? Right. I outline from that point to finding an inspector, finding a remediator, dealing with your contents, and even building the space back after, mm -hmm. and how to how to really go from that point to a, a full recovery. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, we give a lot of resources. Our, our mission is to help people, and uh, I'm happy to help in any way I can. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Michael. This has been great. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Christian Natural Health. This show is run by you, so please write in with topic and guest suggestions for future shows. For more great content, subscribe to Dr. Lauren's blog at www.drlaurendeville.com or follow her on Facebook or Twitter at Dr. Lauren Deville. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating in iTunes. It really helps us to stand out so other people can discover great content as well. Have a great week and God bless you. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts 
by turning our eyes toward Him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.